Welcome to the Church Pulse Weekly Podcast, featuring leadership author and podcaster, Carrie Newhoff, and Barna President, David Kinneman. This podcast delivers unprecedented insights every week into how church leaders are navigating the current crisis and new digital tools to help you stay connected in real time to the people in your church. And now, your hosts, Carrie Newhoff and David Kinneman. Welcome to Church Pulse Weekly. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and we're so glad to uh, have you joining us for the live webcast or also uh, for the podcast, however you're listening or watching this. Uh, Our job here is to try to bring you, well, the latest on what's happening and what to make of it in the midst of a constantly changing world. And we're now two months into the COVID crisis and the COVID era. I guess it's an era now. And uh, this week, I'm joined as usual by Barna President David Kinneman, but also we're really excited to have Tom Rayner and Myron Pierce with us. And we really want to drill down uh, on how this is impacting average-sized churches. Um, we've had a number of large church pastors on, uh, but this is impacting every church, and it's impacting every church differently as well. Uh, David, we've had an awful lot of news. It has, it's been a very discouraging week in some respects uh, in the church. We've had Ahmad Ar- Arbery and everything that's uh, happened along that that I think got everyone's attention, and then the death of Darren Patrick, uh, a large church pastor um, by parent suicide, and uh, man, it's been challenging and churches are reopening or trying to reopen or deciding not to reopen or trying to figure out what that means in the midst of it. And we continue to pull pastors over at churchpulseweekly.com to see what they're grappling with. So in light of all of that, David, happy Monday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it f- does feel like it's two months in, doesn't it? It feels like the sort of the, the the weight of it all sort of cascades and it sort of feels like one week is is even more pressure filled than than the last um you know in some ways we're in this new normal i feel like i'm uh, in a in a better rhythm than i was in the first couple of weeks but it also feels like the pressures are starting to mount and um yeah as we talked and prayed together about what this this particular episode should cover you know we're going to talk about average size churches, what we're seeing in the research. So glad to have uh, Tom Rayner here to, with us to talk about that and Myron uh, Pierce, uh, but also just the the interesting, you know, factors that you mentioned and just how like we're living in this sort of real-time world of the pressures that pastors are facing and all of us are facing. So we really want to encourage you leaders to hang in there, uh, to keep seeking the Lord, keep keep looking to, to Him for your, uh, for, for your identity in the midst of this crisis. So, David, uh, every week we check in with pastors, and thank you to all of you who have been taking the weekly pastor poll. We really appreciate it. And the heart of what we're doing here, this is really the presentation of the data and the interpretation of the data, uh, but it's making data available to you. So what used to really be the the privy in the province of pollsters, like Barna Group, is now available for you for free uh, to be able to poll your church. Uh, I think one of the surprise stories, David, is that uh, it looks like people, even where churches are reopening, are going to stay out of church for a little while as well. And so you think, oh, good, we're going to have everybody back. And then you realize, oh, everyone's not coming back. Some people aren't comfortable back. We have to socially distance. We don't know how to do kids ministry. And so I think for all those reasons, it's really important 
for leaders to get a, an idea of how their church is doing and to stay in contact with them. And one of the best ways to do that actually is by being able to pull your people with simple weekly questions to check in with them. So all that's available to you for free. Uh, thanks to our partners at Barna and Glue. You can get that at Church Pulse Weekly by registering your church. And we have thousands of churches registered for that in Canada, the US and UK now. Isn't that right, David? Yeah, yeah, we're just so pleased that churches are taking advantage of it, and, and tens of thousands of congregants are taking these check-ins um, uh, so far, and we're so we're so honored to help connect pastors and church leaders to the heart of their people in some new and really, I think, kind of unprecedented ways to do all that for free and to be able to check in, not just on how they're doing spiritually, but how they're doing financially and vocationally and relationally and mental health. You know, that that was really the vision behind this from the very beginning was to help pastors have better tools to see what's happening in people's lives. And and so we're just so grateful for leaders using it. We invite you to take a look at it as well. So before Tom Rayner joins us, let's talk a little bit about what we discovered over the last seven days and the data that we've collected. Again, many pastors have checked in and uh, what are the trends? Let's start. I, I think we're in a pattern here, attendance and giving. Uh, but then we've got some new insights as well that uh, I know you're anxious to share with listeners. Yeah. So when it comes to attendance and giving, we're seeing some real like uh, stability in that week over week. But there's not been a lot of change in the last seven seven days. When it comes to attendance, um, the churches in America are roughly divided into three groups, each of about a third. So 36% said their attendance in the last week was higher than usual. 33% said it was lower and 31% said it was the same as usual. So you've got sort of three different buckets there. Um, giving, uh, as 25% of pastors say, it's increased, one in four, from a typical uh, weekend. And we actually did a double-click on that this week, uh, really trying to understand the nature of that. And uh, we, we looked at whether um, they, had, they were up more than 20%. Only 2% of pastors say they're up 20% or more in their actually dollars given. Um, and then uh, 23% said that they're uh, between one and twenty percent, so they're higher, but it could be just very modest. Forty percent said they're the same as pre-COVID, um, and then thirty-five uh, percent uh, are down, and and ten percent are down more than twenty percent. So remember, last week we talked about vulnerable churches, and you know we sort of talked about the fact that we think some somewhere between one in five and one in three churches are going to face some sort of vulnerability to this, and that could be fiscally, that could be terms of attendance recovery. Uh, that could be other factors in in their community, uh, but I think that shows us, you know, at least one in um, at, at least one in ten are facing a decline of more than twenty percent of their giving, which is which is a huge uh, impact to to any budget. David, it's a live show, so I don't want to put you on the spot, and uh, you could double click on almost anything here. Any idea how that's playing out with large churches, very large churches, average or small churches? We did a little bit of a drill down last week, but any patterns emerging in that field? Yeah, in general, what we had seen over the last number of, of weeks, and we've got now you know several thousand churches uh, in, in what we call our Barna panel, and then we've got some other sort of uh, sort of self self identified self identified people who are coming in uh, through some of the pastor poll data, the check in on Glue, the, the the our data partner, and so we've got now thousands upon thousands of churches that we're able to look at, and that helps us to be able to double click and really what we call segment you know cross cross tabulate the data. And so it really is true that the larger churches seem to be doing better um, than the midsize and, and smaller churches. And when it comes to sort of financial stability, they already had uh, you know e-giving platforms in place. They were already more stable in that regard, um, and they just had a you know a sort of more um, 
tools at the ready, whether it's in terms of budgeting well, or other things. More likely to be digital pre-COVID as well. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And so so larger churches seem to be doing doing better, but they're not immune uh, from this uh, as well. And again, I think as we look into the summer and the fall, and as economists are sort of beginning to to take a take a, a toll of what this is going to mean, uh, you know, in terms of the of budgets. I mean, we're looking here in the state of California at uh, I think it was a twenty four billion dollar shortfall. I mean, in the in the you know in the in the dozens of billions of dollars. And for example, like local schools. Um, we were just talking, having this conversation this weekend with uh, one of our good friends who's a public school teacher. You know, in California, uh, public schools are, are greatly subsidized through gas tax, and people aren't driving. People aren't spending money on gas. So there's a huge, huge shortfall that's going to come to public education. All this is that the ecosystem is going to have increasing pressure financially. And so even large churches are going to face some challenges for sure. Uh, but but as we see it, it's the smallest churches that are 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 the most at risk for having financial challenges. Anything else on the regular questions, or you want to dive into the week eight questions? The unique. Uh, I think yeah, I'd be happy to talk about a few things just in our regular stuff. Um, one thing that was interesting is that a third of churches now say that their staff are going back to the office as usual. So that's the highest we've seen it. Uh, the back to church question, um, you know, thirty percent say it's in April, and that's that's probably because some churches are now returning to a worship uh, motion or in-person worship. Um, about about 51% say it'll be June, but then the rest, about 20%, believe it'll be July or later. Again, we're seeing, still seeing some people say it won't be till next year that we come back. Um, and again, quite a bit of stability in a lot of our other um, sort of questions. Um, it was interesting. We asked one question about people's confidence to reopen, and let's sort of turn our attention to that. We've got a lot of different questions we can we can address, but I'll, I'll start that conversation this way, which is we asked, what gives you confidence your church will survive and will be able to reopen? Um, and, and 4% said they believe finances will recover. Um, 21%, only 21% said the finances have been stable. Um, 60% said that they believe people are anxious to return. Um, so they, they're placing their confidence on, you know, people's sort of expectations to come back. This is again, pastor's perspectives. And I want to come back to that question in just a minute, because it turns out people are anxious, but only in certain ways. And then 11% said that God will not allow our church to close, which I love the confidence in God, but also that's, um, that's not really a strategy. Um, and that's not really an answer to, you know, sort of why you think you'll be able to survive because God doesn't promise any church, individual church. He says the church will survive, but not any individual church will survive. So I think that's a really interesting look that people are pastors right now. Again, it's a great, it's a, it it reflects their great heart to get back in person with people. Um, but, but the idea that they're placing a lot of their confidence in the survivability of their, of their church and getting back to being reopened. Uh, on on people's anxiousness to be back in person, I think tells us that we're placing our our hope in something that might be more fickle than we imagine. Might be a, a subject for a future show, yeah. But we've had this conversation. I feel like on the edges a few times. But you know, there's this idea of the optimism that a lot of us have as pastors, Christians, leaders, and then the bleak reality of the situation or what might might actually be happening. I wonder if there's a little bit of cognitive dissonance or there's a little bit of a gap there in terms of what people hope will happen and what's actually happening. I think that's true. And I think, um, you know, something I've learned in my own journey as a leader and then in my personal life and dealing with, uh, you know, my wife who has brain cancer, 
that you have to be really brutally honest as a leader and in facing you know big challenges. And I think that's one thing we would continue to counsel leaders is let's really be honest. And there's there's a difference between you know sort of a false optimism and true hope in what Jesus tells us about the nature of the church, about the nature of our identity being deeply rooted in Him, and that gets to what we've been seeing a little bit in this data. Again, our part a partner at a partner at Glue, um, they've just done a great job of getting real time data on a lot of different things. So we've just been experimenting the last week or two with asking a, a back to church check in and just a couple little like facts that are really interesting. I mean, yes, people are really anxious to get back to life as normal, but when it came, when it came to church attendance, only one in three churchgoers said they would want to resume immediately without any sort of, um, you know, sort of cautions in place. Um, um, 30, only 30% told us that they would, they would rather worship from home and then, then have to wear a mask. So three and 10, um, say I'd rather be home than have to show up in person and put a mask on. Right. Right. Um, about 84% said they were, uh, they were uh, comfortable with, um, uh, being, having temperature, your, your body temperature taken as you came into the church, um, which is actually again, higher than wearing a mask. Interestingly enough, um, People said they'd be okay attending a different time of the of the day if they if it helped to spread out people like if if in other words if if the church asked you to worship at a different time, eighty four percent said they'd be okay as as long as that would help people spread out. Of course, try that in practice, right? I know I know my dad's a lifelong pastor and said, hey, people, we need you to show up at this time or three p.m. service. It's like yeah, ah. right, right. Um, and only 14%, only one in seven churchgoers said that they wanted their student or children's ministry ministry resumed uh, as soon as possible. There's quite a bit of concern around students, about young people, uh, children. And so again, I think this, this sort of very cautious, very, very cautious optimism is what the data is telling us. People are are open to returning, but they really want to see, it's almost like I think the people coming back to a really regular worship um, worship motion is going to be one of the last parts of the so, sort of social fabric that's going to recover. Again, I'm not saying that people won't come back to church, but we should recognize that this isn't just an economic disruption. It's not just a um, you know sort of like hey we we've sort of doing different things. It's a psychological disruption to people, and people are feeling a lot of they're feeling really um, insecure. They're fe- they're feeling vulnerable. They're fe- they're feeling the pressure of and rightly so, of, of people's health around them. And so uh, I think they're going to want to see from us as church leaders a real clear, brutal, you know, sort of dealing with the reality of people's s- sort of psychological, you know, concerns and their and their questions of, of their safety and the safety of others. So anyway, I think that was a really interesting headline. Like people are going to be coming back to church here as, as many of the states reopen, uh, but they're going to be coming back with a lot of questions in their minds, um, and really wanting to see us as church leaders be able to demonstrate that that you know we can we can take care of them as best we can uh, with our precautions in place. Well, and that's a tension, right? Of having a whole lot of leaders who are like, "Okay, great, we finally get to do this," and then the reality of people going, "Ah, not so fast." And so that's what makes leadership complex. So uh, Tom Rayner's with us today. Tom, we're excited to have you join us, and would invite you to uh, jump in right now. Uh, in the conversation. And while Tom gets ready, uh, just a reminder that we have a really exciting webinar that we're putting together, a much deeper form of having a look at where the church is at. David, you want to give us a couple of keynote details on that? And Yeah, I'd be happy to. Yeah. And uh, Tom will be joining us next week. It's uh, May 20th. 
and you can join us live. It'll be at 1 p.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Uh, 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 uh, a.m. Pacific. It'll be 90 minutes or so, uh, and we're calling it "Caring for Souls in the New Reality." Caring for Souls in the New Reality. So we're we're really looking at how how this crisis has affected sort of a culture's expectation of church, how churches are sort of need to change and think about discipleship and resilient discipleship, and how all this crisis is changing us as leaders. What will this crisis mean for the future of pastors? I think there's never been a greater moment for us to demonstrate the need of pastors and pastoring uh, than this crisis has, has shown us. So I invite you to join us, and it's all free. Well, Tom Rayner. Thank you for joining us today. Really glad to have you. Uh, you've made a big shift in your own leadership, stepping away as CEO, retiring as CEO of Lifeway, and now full-time you're doing church answers. So you're working with pastors every day, have led small and large churches, and just about everything in between. My first question for you, Tom, I guess is this. Um, do you see this as an interruption or a disruption, uh, this, this change that we're in the midst of right now? That is a softball, so thank you for opening. You're welcome. With, You're welcome. With, with, with what the, day is it? That's a much more complicated question, Tom. Yeah, it's it's, it's definitely a disruption, Carrie, and it's a, it's a disruption that has all kind of implications behind it. Some of the implications are positive. Some of the implications, depending on your perspective, are negative. Uh, we're, we're doing a lot of webinars now, just like you, and, and one the biggest one that we had in terms of both live attendance and registration was called the Blank Slate. And the Blank Slate was all about disruption. Okay, we know that there's, there are theological foundations that will remain intact. We know the Bible is the Word of God. We know that Jesus is the only way of salvation. But what about all these methodological things? What about, what about these applications to church life? What about church life as usual? And church leaders know that things are not going to be the same. There are few, you know, as you and David were talking about, there are few that have really kind of some false hopes that we can just get everything back to normal. But this is a disruption. And in many ways, I won't start going down the path. And y'all are doing a great job of just addressing them. But in many ways, the church has one of the greatest opportunities, maybe since the Great Depression, if not before then, to make some major adjustments. What would you think some of uh, the biggest disruptions would be? Obviously, we're out of our buildings. And I love the fact that you said this was a softball, because here's my challenge with that. Every, it feels like every single day I get messages from pastors going, will you please stop calling this a disruption? It's an interruption, and everything's going back to normal again soon. Um, so uh, I, I, I don't know too many um, people that I've interviewed who think it's an interruption, but it's interesting that there's this dissonance that's, that's there. So in what specific ways would you say, yeah, life will, like looking forward, six months, a year, who knows when it will be, what do you think will be fundamentally different, Tom? Well, let, let's just talk about the basics that many pastors are facing right now. How will we gather, okay? Right. We, we're, we're hearing this question again and again, and, and uh, uh, Barna Glue, you, David, are addressing it so very well, but how will we gather? There is this presumption, even though I was listening carefully to what y'all were saying uh, before I came on, and uh, you, you, you basically were nailing it in the fact that, okay, we're going to gather, but it is not going to be the same. For example, we, we, do, we do have a high level of confidence that the two ways that people will want to gather as quickly as possible is in the worship services and in 
what we would call ongoing groups, community groups, life groups, Sunday school classes, what they would be. So there's going to be a tendency to gravitate back to those groups as quickly as possible, as well as the worship service. However, we are also seeing that another type of group, what I would call a closed-in group, which would be a short-term study, that may even move more and more to the, the, the digital form than the in-person form. So that, that is just one of those things that is going to happen right away. How about, how about this for an immediate disruption? Now, this, this is really probably an interruption instead of a disruption. I wonder how many pastors are thinking about preaching with babies and kids in the worship center. I mean, that, that is an interruption. That is an yeah. interruption. And many, many are not even prepared for that. But the reality of it is, for the first few weeks, those babies and kids are probably going to be in the service and not in the pre-K area, wherever they may be in the nursery. They will be there. Are we prepared for that? Then, perhaps some of the most far-reaching information is disruption on reaching the community. If there has been anything that I'm seeing that has taken place that is positive, among all others, it is a new awareness that we have a physical address for a reason. Yes, I know the church building is not the church, and I know the people of the church, and so I so I'm totally get that theology. But we have an address for a reason. God has put us in a community for a reason. And ironically, church leaders are discovering their communities more when they cannot be physically present than they were when they could. And now they're saying, there are people out there. There are people that we need to reach, minister to, and to, and to have all kinds of possibilities of relationship. I think one of the greatest disruptions is the Great Commission and the Great Commandment might be fulfilled more poignantly and powerfully post-corona than, than maybe the previous 30 to 40 years. And that would be a welcome one. <laughs> For sure. Um, you know, we've heard a little bit, the double click on some of the data that larger churches seem to be weathering this perhaps a little bit better than midsize or small churches or are perhaps a little less vulnerable. Uh, you're on the field. I know you run cohorts. I know you coach uh, pastors of every size church. Tom, what are you seeing in terms of the impact of the more average or normal sized church in America? How are, how are you, what are you sensing the impact of this is on them? Uh, I, listening to you before I came in, there, there's a sense of affirmation. First of all, more of the larger churches were digital. Uh, so they, they were prepared for some of the financial implications, particularly that would take place. They were prepared more for the streaming services than some of the smaller churches were. One of the things we are seeing in, in the churches, say 250 and in, in, down in, in attendance is they are moving from extreme pessimism to cautious optimism. Now, I don't have the size of database that y'all do, but I do do have a good number of churches with whom we're interacting in the few thousands. And here's here's one thing we noticed right away. We, we did a, an immediate poll. We had maybe 1,500 church leaders on for this immediate poll, not scientifically based, but a good idea of, of where they were. And we asked this question, and most of these were 250 other under. We said, what do you think the outlook for your church is post-coronavirus? Just a simple question. And 15% of them at that point, this was the second week, second week into it, 15% of them said, we think we're going to close our doors. Wow. Now, you, 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 you put that onto a scale of just North American churches, that would be 50,000 churches 
that said they're going to close their doors. Fast forward five weeks after that, same question. Maybe not the same people, but the same demographic background, 3%. So there was this huge surge of optimism. And I think a lot of it had to do with the finances. Hey, people still can give. Hey, people still can go uh, digital. And you know what? We might just make an impact in our community after all. So what we're seeing with the normal-sized churches uh, is cautious optimism, but in growing optimism, certainly more so than the beginning. One of the questions, and I don't know that there's any way to answer this other than to directly ask it, and I don't even know if you'd get an honest answer at that point, but one of the theories I've had in the back of my head uh, is that, you know, now anybody can go anywhere, right? Your, your church, because church is pretty much all online, and every church is online. Just because I live north of Toronto, it means, well, I could affiliate with a church in California. Uh, you see that at uh, Transformation Church in Tulsa. Uh, Life Church in Oklahoma. I don't know why it's these Oklahoma churches that are picking up so much momentum in COVID, but you know they've got a whole bunch of new followers. Do you think that that is something that small and mid-sized church attenders would be prone to, or do you think they're going to be pretty loyal? Again, I know this is li- largely speculative, uh, but I wonder if there's a consolidation of the market to use uh, other terminology going on. Any thoughts on that, Tom, or speculations? Voices. As I see it, Kerry, one, one force would be the continued migration from the smaller church to the larger church. That was happening pre-COVID. And, right. and I, I don't see that necessarily declining. While there may not be as, while there may only be about the same number of very large churches as there were 10 years ago, there are more people attending them. So that migration is still going to take place. Then you start looking particularly at the millennial generation, those born between 1980 and 2000 or however you want to do that. And then uh, uh, Gen Z, those born after 2000. And you're seeing a desire for the smaller gathering. Um, Again, you know, what are the implications behind that? Does that mean that they will be going to a smaller campus of a large church? Does that mean that they will be going to a more normal sized church in America? I think that there will be both in, and so there will be some tug back to the smaller church. And in the midst of this, there has been a slight growth in rural rural America, which uh, had not happened for some time now. And is that going to cause a return to some of the small churches? So, you know, that's... I think I've tiptoed through all the possibilities of this without answering your question. Well, it's, you know, but it's interesting about rural repopulation because I was talking to Scott Harrison, the founder and CEO of Charity Water, and he moved literally from Tribeca in downtown Manhattan to a rural farmhouse in Pennsylvania. And he's like, I'm not sure we're going back. And he actually wonders whether he's, a lot of his friends in New York are saying the same thing. Now that's anecdotal, not statistical. Uh, but I have read speculative articles about people leaving big cities and moving to more rural areas for affordability. And, you know, if you're raised in Manhattan, you don't know what it's like to live on a farm until you live on a farm. So that's really interesting. It is, is it a time massive disruption. All right. Another question for you, Tom. We talked about some of the disadvantages, but obviously there are big advantages to being a small or mid-sized church as well. What are some opportunities that those churches, small and normal-sized churches, would have in uh, a moment like this that you see? 
Well, for, first of all, there are some very natural familial connections that can be both a detriment and a, and, and a positive in a church. A familial connection, let's, let's go back to some of the rural churches of which you spoke. That could be a home-owned, home-owned, operated uh, family church that won't let anybody in. And so that could be one possibility. But the familial connections can also be something that will enhance relationships because many of these churches in smaller communities have those type of connections and they, they can be enhanced as well. The, the, the desire, the, the desire for, uh, in-person intimacy. Yeah, it can, it can be had, uh, at the larger church, but there's a perception and we'll see if perception becomes reality that once we go back to in-person services that we might have a better connection in the smaller church. So here's, here's my answer. Ultimately, I think the normal size churches are going to have an opportunity. Now let's see if they will take advantage of the opportunity, because I do see that many of these church members may give them a try during this time. And it depends on the level of receptivity that they receive, whether or not they're going to be change resistant, the usual issues that you face. So I, I think there's a window of opportunity. I don't think that window is going to stay open very long though. Hmm. Uh, one more question, David, I don't know if you have anything for Tom before bringing Myron in, but any tips or recommendations on reopening? It's a real live issue now because a lot of people can, and they're like, yeah, but should I? Uh, if you're under 50, it's probably the easiest. It's like, well, let's all gather and stay six feet apart. But let's just take it for hypothetical sake to those churches that aren't under 50. That would, you know, that 50 to 250, which is the backbone of the American church. Any recommendation for them? I'm, I'm like you. Uh, I looked in my inbox and of, of the ones I'm directly coaching, it seemed like every one of them had a question this morning about, hey, can you help us with this reopening issue? And yeah. it may have been the macro issue or it may have been some aspect of it. And there's so many different ways to address it. And there have been a lot of good uh, webinars and other venues to address it. One of the things that I'm encouraging church leaders to do, especially uh, smaller churches that may be in not some of the larger communities, is find out what your peers are doing in the other churches. Do not go as a lone ranger because you can be perceived as the bad guy if you go too soon, too late, whatever. See if you can develop some type of consensus with other pastors, with other church leaders, so that you're all on the same page and people are not thinking that these churches do not know collectively what they're doing because this church started gathering in two weeks ago and this other church and thinking about gathering to 2021. You may not get a perfect unanimity, but if you get a consensus, it will help. And so I'm encouraging pastors to contact other pastors. And in the midst of this, they're saying, we're getting to know some people that we really did not know. <laughs> so, you know, there's so many things that we could talk about going back in. But one of the things that I would do is just make sure you're unified in your community as much as possible. I think that's really, that's a really great point, Tom. And, uh, even as we're talking about the the opportunities for small to mid-sized churches to make the most of this relational moment of being small and connected and and taking advantage of that well I actually think you're you're also referencing this idea of of the church in a city and in a community becoming better and more networked and um and I actually think that's another great opportunity for the gospel and we shouldn't we shouldn't be too fast to move past that to real authentic friendship and partnership. And I love that, that particular bit of advice for, uh, for leaders today. I think that's a great insight. Thank well, you. it's less confusing to your church too. 
if you're the rogue or to your city or to your community, right? If you're the rogue, it's like, we're going to be the first to open. Those are the people who always make the papers and not necessarily in a particularly <laughs> encouraging way or flattering way. And I think if there's a bit of consensus, that probably gives some confidence and some uh, a form of pastoral care for your church too, to say, okay, well, you guys have talked and you're making the best decision, you know, uh, based on the data and the information that you have. And how many organizations do we have in a community that gather weekly? I mean, yeah. the whole community is looking to churches to say, please don't blow this. Help us to make this work well. And churches, we're going to depend upon you. And if we're in some type of consensus, that helps the community, but it helps the churches as well. It's good advice. As always, it's so rich uh, when we get a chance to be together and to talk to you. We look forward to having you join us on May 20th for the special event. Tom, thank you so much for being with us. And we'll bring on Myron Pierce now. Myron is the pastor of Mission Church in Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, pre-COVID, you saw about 300 on average, which would put you on the slightly higher side of the American church. And welcome, Myron. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks, Carrie. Thanks, David. Hey, I would love to know um, any comment on what you've heard so far, either from the data that David shared or what Tom has said, anything you want to echo, amplify, or say, yeah, that's totally where we're at right now. Yeah, one of the things that even as Tom was speaking, that it's, it's kind of bothering me. I'm, I'm a church planter, but I'm also a digital marketer. I have a digital marketing agency, so I have those two hats. So it's kind of worked in our favor at the church. But one of the things that I see us having primarily is a conversation around gathering. Hmm. And, and I, think, I think we need to hold gathering in, in a priority, but I think we need to hold scattering in priority. I think we need to be having conversations around how do we continue to innovate? Because I'm, in I'm in the hood. Our church is in the hood. And so the reality is COVID, when it comes to impacting a community, it disrupted us as African-Americans, mm. but we're so numb to other trauma. It's another thing. And wow. so, so for us, we're like, man, how do we continue to innovate around scattering in this, in this COVID era? Hmm. That's interesting. So uh, did you have an online presence prior to uh, COVID? I did. Yeah, we had a, and so consequently, um, we, our ministry skyrocketed beyond our wildest dreams. And here's why, like I would, I would, God's given us a dream to, to saturate every inner city in America with diverse Hopefield churches. Wow. And one of the things that I thought about before COVID was, man, how in the heck, like there's over 450, um, inner cities just in America alone. I'm not going to see this happen, but in the middle of this COVID era, all of a sudden, I see very clearly how it can happen and, and why it's happening even right now. Well, that's really interesting. Okay, so let's drill down on that a little bit more, Myron, uh, because you do have a digital marketing background. You're on the younger side, like we know Barna's data. You know, you're not, you're not the average, I think, senior pastor is 57 this year. Is that right, David? So about, uh-huh. you're definitely decades below that. Um, and so you had a digital presence before. Why did it blow up now? Um, I'm curious. Yeah, um, it's like what our what my big brother Andy Stanley always says that that limitation drives innovation. Mm-hmm. And so when crisis hits, a lot of times the average person says 
we can't do something. Right. Well, everybody on my squad, we're all like 20s and 30s. And so we're saying, well, man, what can we do? We have digital marketers. We have creatives. They are the new pastors in our generation. They're the new pioneers. Let's leverage that talent and figure out how we move further, faster, how we multiply, how we plant more churches, and how we double down on discipleship. So how did you do that? I mean, take us through, take us through some of your playbook. What did you do? What did you shift? Well, the first thing is we went from, uh, we had, in 2017, we launched our church. Um, a couple years later, we had been up to, we planted five churches in, in basically three years. Wow. And, um, in COVID, we're now up to, I think, I lost count. We're up to like 16 churches. Um, and so what Incredible. we started doing is we started launching digi churches. And our second church we launched, dude named uh, Ron Smith out of Chicago, ex-gangbanger. He turned, we had a conversation. He said, I think I want to turn my whole staff into digital church planters. So what that ended up doing for us as the mother church is it turned us into a grandma church Mm. uh, real fast. And so they went from, we went from um, like up to five churches. Now we're up to 16 because everybody's planting what I'm calling digi churches. And, uh, and then consequently uh, we're doubling down on disciple making um, and it's like a movement. (laughs) And so we're we're everywhere. We're in, uh, we're in Kansas city, we're in Chicago, we're in Accra, Ghana, we're in, um, Harare, Zimbabwe. We're in Brixton, London. Uh, we're in Hyde Park in St. Louis. Uh, and then we have two churches that were birthed um, in Omaha out of this whole COVID thing. So it's, it's, it's actually turning into a movement. So first, amazing. I mean, congratulations. It's just so encouraging and to hear a good news story. Can you define DigiChurch for us? Like, what is that? Is that like That's two people? Good. Is that 20? Like how, yeah. what is that? What's the category? So I, um, so I wrote a book called Digital Ministry and then I'm coming out with a whole book in like 30 days called DigiChurch, how to, how the church can change the digital world. And so this is the best way to frame it. Imagine Acts chapter one, verse eight, where Jesus says he's speaking to the church, right? Yeah. His, his followers. And he says, hey, I want you to go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, right? Well, we know they disobeyed because they didn't go anywhere, <laughs> right? And so then when you jump into Acts chapter 8, 1, if you just switch those numbers, right, a pandemic, I mean, a persecution happened. Yeah. And so once the persecution happened, they scatter. And what happens when they scatter? They plant the gospel in places that Jesus told them to go. And so COVID caused us to scatter, plant the gospel in places where we hadn't been previously. And now groups of people are forming. So, for example, in um, in uh, Kansas City, we're a church of 300. In Harare, Zimbabwe, we're a church of 50. In Accra, Ghana, we're a church of 20. And so these are mi- every, everywhere from micro churches to medium sized churches. And then just this last Sunday, um, we launched a virtual church um, in virtual reality. And so I've kind of been hanging out with uh, DJ Soto. So now we went Mission Church VR. So it's, we're having fun. We're, we don't know what we're doing. We just, we're just doing it. The pioneers never know what they're doing, Myron. <laughs> so you're in great company. You're yeah. an awesome company. All right. Um, I love how you framed the opening of our conversation by saying, why are you guys all talking about like reopening physical buildings? So I want you to comment on like the amount of time, energy, and focus that you and your team would put into physical gathering 
in the first three years of your church and how you're rethinking that? Like, do you think you will put as much energy and effort into physical gathering in the future as you have in the past? Or is that going to change at all? I'd love to know. Yep. So I met a mentor of mine uh, at the Exponential Conference uh, a couple of years ago, and he ruined my life. Uh, <laughs> he really did. He ruined my life. His name is Ralph Moore, um, yeah. uh, father of the Hope Chapel movement. And he has been challenging me as I've been following him all over the world, wherever he goes, I go. And he's been challenging me to make the main thing the main thing, which is disciple making. And so before COVID, I'd spent the last year um, really nailing down a discipleship culture. And so because we have a discipleship culture, we didn't miss a beat. I mean, literally, I pulled our pastors in and I said, man, this is crazy. What are we going to do? And they kind of just said, what do you mean? What are we going to do? We're going to continue doing what we've been doing. We have a theology of ministry. We have a philosophy of ministry and how we plan churches. The only thing that's pivoting is our methodology. And we already know how to pivot because we have a church who's the, who the pastor is a digital marketer. And so for us, we're putting less stock in the Sunday morning gathering. And we have plans in place to where even as we gather back, it's going to look very different than how it looked before. Because here's the reality, Carrie. Normal is never coming back. Yeah, I hear you. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. And I I think if, and David Kinnaman Barna Group knows this, the church has been in decline for years. And so if it's in decline, if it was in decline, you know, before COVID, just think now that people have drank the the Kool-Aid of digital, they're not coming back. And so- I think this sets the church the church up to move out of our comfort zone from what we from what we want to what the people want and what God is doing. Hmm. You don't find that threatening? I've talked to so many pastors who find that threatening, Myron. Talk to them. Here's what I would say. It's only threatening if we want to control. <laughs> All right. Wow. That was Drop the mic, the man. Condition. Drop the mic. Mm-hmm. We want to control. We, we want to feel like we're in control. But the last thing, the last time I checked, Jesus said, I will build my church. So we have to go back and evaluate who's building this thing. Am, am I building it based on my paradigm of what I think church is? Or am I allowing room for mystery and for limitation to, number one, drive us to our knees? Because the reality is we all need Christ in this situation. Yeah, we do. Right. Um, and I think in crisis, we tend to focus on ourselves. Hmm. And I don't ever think that was a part of the mission of God. It was always other people. It was always the Great Commission. Pain is selfish. I mean, it just causes you to, if you drop a rock on your foot, you're going to be thinking about yourself, not others. It's 100% true. Uh, So you are a digital marketer uh, and you understand a smaller, mid-sized church context. So talk to all the leaders who are listening and watching who are like, Myron, like, help me out here. We're, you know, we're barely on Facebook. We're just figuring out live streaming. We're, we have a YouTube channel. What are there a couple of keys yeah. uh, to digital, digital marketing that you can share Hold with our, our leaders? I got a, I have an ebook. It's three ninety nine. man. Broke people can buy that. Right. So go get it. It's on Amazon. <laughs> but can I, can I make a confession? I want to yeah, confess. You can make a confession. Um, Carrie, I've like envied you. <laughs> oh man. I'm like I'm looking at your church, the church you started. And I'm like, this dude is a mega church pastor. I'm looking at, you know, you interviewing Mike Todd. I'm like, these cats mega, 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 mega this. 
And when COVID hit, God, like, number one, he's dealing with my soul in, in terms mm. of um, comparison, um, because Paul says that's foolish. Um, but the other thing is this. He said, Myron, you've always wanted to be a mega church pastor. Now, now you actually are. You're reaching thousands of people. Wow. Um, and how you feel doesn't change. So now what's next? And so he really like nailed me on that. And, and he's like, man, what's your, like, what's your goal here? I've, give, I've given you what you wanted and it hasn't, it hasn't satisfied you. So I got to bring you back to the mission, Myron. Yeah. And so, and I, so I would tell every, every, every pastor, listen, your building is a limitation <laughs> when we forget the Great Commission. And I want to encourage every small church pastor, every one of us have a phone, every one of us have uh, a, a, some type of laptop. And I believe if the Apostle Paul was on this side of heaven, he would be giving us all a spanking because he would be wanting us to leverage technology to plant the gospel in every space and place available until the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom, the kingdoms of our God. Hmm. Myron, so, so rich. David, any, uh, any thoughts for Myron? Any questions for him? That, uh, yeah, that was, that was brilliant. Myron, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, again, just, uh, I, I'm, I'm just sitting back here taking notes, imagining all the ways that listeners are going to be benefited from this. And I just love your, your posture of really trying to innovate and lead and uh, I think it's also interesting just hearing your story, how your team around you had to remind you of all the good work you'd been doing. It sounded you know, that your story was like, you went in, you're like, what are we going to do? And they're like, just keep doing the things you're doing because it's, it's already kind of working for this moment. So it's cool how, you know, even in that, you know, I love your story of just being reminded by God of what it is, you know, he's called you to and by your team, people around you. So I think those are great uh, pieces of wisdom for, for our listeners uh, just to remind that we have to be pulling together as a team and pulling together, you know, in light of what God's called us to do with our, with our ministries. Thanks. Myron, if people want to know more and I'm sure they will, they'll be interested in following you. Is it myronpierce.com P I E R C E? Yes, sir. All right. That's great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Myron, David, as we uh, wrap up uh, any thoughts, it has been uh, quite a week. And you know, one of, one of the trends I'm definitely seeing And Myron hinted at it. Mike Todd hinted at it. I've heard a number of other leaders who have found momentum in this season. Uh, They're not seriously saying the building is irrelevant, but there's almost a thread in their conversation where they're saying, yeah, we'll worry about the building when we open up. It's not a big deal. Like we found something much bigger and much better. And uh, I just think that's a really interesting moment. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I actually thought of something I want to ask Myron if he doesn't mind jumping back in here. I wonder if there's um, if any wisdom you have about sort of how COVID is hitting, you know, African-American inner city communities. You sort of mentioned this offhand, uh, but just give us a picture of, you sort of said the, the kind of the traumas that, you know, inner city communities have experienced. This is just like one more trauma. You know, how is it that we could be um, more aware, more clear, more helpful? Uh, you know, obviously, as a as a white person, what can we do to learn more about that experience, and then t- to be you know in solidarity? Obviously, this last week, the Ahmaud Arbery uh, thing went more public than it had, and you know, just I've I've just spent you know so much time talking to friends, uh, trying to understand. But talk to us a little bit about the, the sort of the trauma of COVID in light of what your your inner city community is experiencing, and how that affects you as a church planter. Yeah, it's no secret that COVID has hit 
um, America, American inner cities the hardest. And here's, here's the problem with that. Black folks don't realize it. So we, in my community, we out kicking it. We at, we at the parks, we out drinking, they, they out drinking, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yeah. and having fun and all this as if nothing is happening. Why? Because that's what trauma does. Trauma, trauma will always, um, is designed to help us. We, we try to escape and we try to numb stuff. And so we've really been numb as the black community. And so what, what we've tried to do as leaders in our community is elevate the, the, the issue of COVID, uh, by collaborative, collaboratively working together. I'm a part of a group called the Empowerment Network. It's one of the greatest organizations in America as it comes to mobilizing the church, businesses, et cetera, do by the name of Willie Barney. The second thing is this. So we have the COVID thing going on, and then we have the, we have the, we have the, the murder that just happened mm-hmm. with, our, with our buried. And I venture to say that's hit us much harder mm-hmm. because the pain is much deeper. And so now we're trying to wrestle with the reality of not ignoring COVID, but then now trying to grieve another life that has been lost. And it is driving all of us up the wall and trying to um, help our people realize that there is a, a healthy way to grieve, but then there has to be a healthy way to act. Mm-hmm. And in between those two um, those two realities we're wrestling and we're, and we're, we're angry. And, 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 and so as a young African-American, I'm having to play the mediator role and the facilitator of, yeah, this injustice is bad. This injustice is horrible. This injustice of COVID is horrible. And this is how we feel. We shouldn't, we shouldn't flush that down. We should actually feel and lean into it. But then we should also have healthy ways to deal with it. And so I'm a part of a community that's helping to facilitate that. Um, and there's, you know, obviously one of the things I tell the white guy would, would be um, the best way to understand hmm. is in proximity. And one of the things that I'm learning in this conversation of race is when a black man talks about how he feels, sometimes the white man gets on defense. But the last thing we should do is take the posture of defense because we run the risk of losing how somebody feels. And if we run the risk of losing how somebody feels, then we miss the gift of empathy that we can give in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. I really appreciate you sharing that, Myron. And uh, obviously the last week, obviously the last eight weeks, we've all been grieving a lot of, of life not being normal and I know, you know, if, for me, it's it's uh, just not being able to go out, you know, to the grocery store as often or all the things. But uh, for for many who don't have the means we have or live in the kind of communities that we do, it's it's much different. So I've been really trying to understand that. And then in the last week, a lot of the Ahmad Arbery stuff. And uh, one of the things I've been thinking about the last few days, and um, just as a, a, a something for for listeners and viewers, uh, what what we can do at Barna. Uh, that's unique is is trying to help people have deeper empathy through research, right? To hear someone else's point of view, and and a lot for many years I've been trying to wake up the church to the needs of millennials and Gen Z. Like guys, we need to listen to people. We need, and I love hearing from you about listening to the possibilities of the digital church. And you know, thank you so much for sharing that. You know, story of innovation. I hope many are inspired by that. And I think we need to really listen and hear from you know our our, our uh, brothers and sisters of color and uh, especially black Americans during something like this. And one thing we're going to do uh, here at Barna, we, we have a product called where do we go from here 
um, how U.S. Christians feel about racism and what they believe it will take to move forward. And it's based on a research study we did with uh, a good friend, Jack Alexander. And we've got uh, a way for, we're going to offer this as a free download for people as, as one small way for church leaders just to be able to see and understand and have deeper empathy for the lived experience of, um, of black Americans, of black Christians. And that's been something over the last two, three years that we've just really seen. It's been on my heart, on our team's heart. Uh, we're doing a big study on multicultural churches and on the, the state of the black church in America. So anyway, that's a, lo- a lot of words, but they're they're meant to sort of say like one w- small way we can contribute to that listening and hearing and understanding each other is to, to 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 make that available but more than that this posture of research to try to hear and listen and understand before we come to our own opinions of those things and so my heart's been breaking um for my black brothers and sisters over the last week just knowing how this is uh it it, it reflects some as you said sort of so, such a deeper trauma even than what covid sort of seems to represent for people so anyway thank you so much for sharing that i really appreciate you uh, bringing that perspective yeah and i and i do just want to say man um it could be very easy for barna to remain silent and and i'm i'm thankful to god bro that like you haven't because silence i believe is the issue and, and I know a lot of my white brothers would say, man, we don't know what to say. And, and so it, it, it melts my heart, bro, that you're using Barna as a platform to create conversations around race so that we can lean in by taking the research that you guys are providing and be able to have real honest dialogue and conversation that I think will help us move forward together. Thanks. Thanks. That means a lot. It really does. Right. Thanks, Myron. So yeah, appreciate thanks, you. Really do. Yeah. And the great work that you're doing. I'll David. Ah, final thoughts as we head into yet another week, a week away now from um, the webinar happening May 20th. Yeah, um, I'm just really sitting back, just admiring your interview skills, Carrie, you're so good. And Tom Rainer, just, just, it's been many years I've admired your work from a distance, and I just so appreciate you adding the, the rich layers of hearing and serving uh, pastors, uh, serving churches, spending your life ministering to other leaders. Uh, and Myron, what an inspiration just hearing from you today. And uh, for, for me, this this idea of the psychological trauma that I think we're all dealing with here week eight of this of this crisis, uh, how for many of us, it's a, you know, it's a it's an unprecedented time for sure. But as Myron says, it's, it's not all that impress, unprecedented for our black brothers and sisters, for example, to have trauma that stretches back years, decades, lifetimes. Um, how how it is that the church is shaped through trauma and and how it propels its its uh, mission forward. So that to me is what I'm I'm leaving this conversation with. Yeah, me too. And I do appreciate what Myron said about you know, hey, this is just trauma on top of trauma, uh, which I get. But I also I also see a thread in that we've all at different levels. I'm not minimizing anything, but you know, this has been traumatic for everybody. And I can see with what Tom is saying, and one of the things I love about how Tom's spending his days this these days is he's spending a lot of his time actually coaching small church pastors and uh, in the trenches with them. Uh, but I can see the drift back to normal. Like, don't we all just want something familiar? Uh, it was Mother's Day here on the weekend as it was in the U.S. And like, there was no place to even get takeout. It was like 10 times harder. And so my wife and I, we went out for literally 
a hamburger and french fries last night that we could get socially distanced at this famous burger joint in South Muskoka near where we live. If you know Canada, you know Weber's. But anyway, it's like <laughs> we would never do that for Mother's Day, but it's like, wouldn't it be nice just to grab a brunch somewhere? Like, but you just can't do it right now under the lockdown that we're under. under. And so I understand that, but I love how as much as we're all focused on getting back to normal, Myron's like, yeah, it's a brand new opportunity. And I think it is for church leaders. So um, we're going to continue to monitor the data. We're going to continue to do the weekly pastor poll. If you haven't taken that yet, head on over to churchpulseweekly.com, register your church, register yourself, and then you get the whole toolkit for free. So you can pull your church, your community, your city, uh, your network. If you're like Myron and you're launching net, you know, churches or Tom, and you've got a whole network of people that follow you, you can register yourself there for free and then track to see how your people are doing. Like they built the infrastructure, Glue and Barna together over at Church Pulse Weekly. Uh, that's sort of your headquarters for everything. If you're listening later in the week, then we would love for you to subscribe to this podcast, to share it on social. We're, we'll share whatever we see you sharing. And uh, yeah, you can get it all at churchpulseweekly.com. So thank you so much for tuning in. Really appreciate you. If you would leave a rating and review um, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast, we'd be so grateful for that. That helps get the word out. And we had a massive week last week on this podcast. So I don't know what happened, but a bunch of you are showing up. And uh, we'll do this again in seven days. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to the Church Pulse Weekly Podcast. Join us next week for more insights on navigating the current crisis to help you stay connected to the people in your church.